Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. Well, I am excited about this interlude series between season one and season two, where we're just really taking a pause on a structured format of our podcast and really inviting people who we feel like are doing inspiring things in the world that relate to gratitude, mindfulness, social change. Um, You almost would say we're experiencing emergence right now. It's been really inspiring every week to have these conversations and and see the world in different ways. And I love how we've been reconnecting them to the themes of our card deck as well, to just remember how nature is present in, in all of the ways that we hold space and um, think about healing and transformation. You know, in some ways, this is we're we're starting from where we were almost two years ago when we talked about emergence and we used a metaphor from nature, which is, you know, a group of birds, starling birds in particular, who are able to move together in sync without like one centralized bird telling everybody move <laughs> left, move right. And, you know, but how do they know? And each of the birds are really and there's some physics behind this, they're actually connected or paying attention to to the seven other birds around them. And by paying attention to the seven other birds around them, what they're really sort of focused on, as much as a bird is focused on something, is what distance they are from those seven other birds. And I always love that as an example of what does it mean to be in right relationship? What is that distance? How are we, are we close enough that we're sort of connected, but not so close that we get in each other's way and we're not so far from each other that we don't know what's going on and we can't kind of coordinate. And I feel like the social change and the social practices and the personal practices is really about this dance of how to be in right relationship. That's both within yourself, with the people in your life, with our planet. Um, All of this is a question of, what is that right distance uh, and how are we playing uh, together in this sandbox? I'm sitting with this image of the birds flying and imagining, you know, what do they do when it's really windy? Today in Mount Shasta, <laughs> it's pretty windy outside and they don't like have a meeting about it. You know, like, how are we going to adjust to these wind conditions? You know, I'm always checking the weather. Um they just flow. And uh, I, I love how that is uh, the embodiment of emergence is like by seeing how everyone's flowing in the air, given the change in the in in the sky, like they're they're moving and they're flowing together. Right. They're not like, oh, man, it's windy today, so I can't go out <laughs> and fly. Right. Like, and, you know, it, and a lot of the emergent practices that I take inspiration from are from. Uh, Adrian Marie Brown, and she's got this amazing book called Emergent Strategy. And she speaks to this very thing. She's got a quote in the book that says, change happens. Change is definitely going to happen no matter what we plan or expect or hope for or set in place. We will adapt to that change or we will become irrelevant. And so the bird's like, I don't care what the weather's going to do. <laughs> like, I'm not going to become <laughs> irrelevant because then I'm not surviving. Right. And so what are those practices that allow us to adapt to change, knowing that it's constant? Um, and that really then 
is how are we training our brains and, you know, our emotions and our body to be present Mm. to change? How do we embody these practices and what is our learning? You know, I was with a, a dear friend this past weekend and one, it was just delightful to be in a friend's backyard again. He's one of the smartest people I know. And, you know, and he, we have daughters of similar age and, you know, he said, this is the age where you really want to take the time to help your kid play with how their mind thinks, like to really sort of explore, like, well, how does my mind think and how do I then use that, my approach to thinking to help me in whatever I'm trying to do, whether it's you know in sports in school or studying. And so just being aware of our own kind of nuances and then sort of figuring out how you want to go tackle the world as opposed to, I think sometimes education doesn't always sort of look as the student as an active participant, right? Like there's um, one of my favorite authors is Paulo Freire and he wrote this incredible book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And, you know, he describes that sort of old school model of teaching as the banking model, right? Where it's about the teacher reciting facts and ideas. And then it's the student that's supposed to just listen and memorize everything. It's like as if the student was this empty vault and the teacher is supposed to put sort of the knowledge in the vault. And there's a real limitation to that model. Um, And it assumes something like that the mind is this blank canvas as opposed to, no, we each have our own ways and we have to actually become familiar with our own ways and then figure out how do we be in dialogue and how do we learn and, and what does that really then look like? And I think to me, the whole point of his book, and I think in some ways the conversations that we're having, he says, we're either on the path of humanization or on the path of dehumanization. Hmm. We're either learning to find our humanity or we're actually dehumanizing each other and ourselves. And so to me, just sort of like, what is that practice of learning that allows us to really embrace our full humanity? I'm so glad we're having this second um, episode really focusing on just the future of learning. And a couple things come up for me. One is growing up, you know, I was like classic model minority, you know, uh, Asian, you know, overachiever, you know, immigrant. And a lot of the ways in which I had to learn English and other things just for my survival was memorization. You know, I remember look having a my ESL teacher like showing me a card with an apple picture of an apple and I just have have to memorize that that's that's how you say that that's what that is that's that sound that is related to this thing in the world and um you know every Saturday we go to Chinese school and it would be the same thing memorizing um Chinese Confucian proverbs and folklore you know as a way to kind of build our connection to the culture um, but also, you know, remember the language. And and then as a teacher, fast forward, you know, I'm a second grade classroom teacher in Washington, D.C. And so much of what I was asked to do was actually just impart information. And it was just one dimension. And these kids came from so many, part, you know, different parts of the world. And 
you know, they had limited English and it felt very um, one-sided to just teach them the information. And so I love that you're bringing this up, Omar, of how, how can we actually teach in a way that helps people adapt to change by knowing themselves first? Well, you know, we talked last week a little bit about how to train your mind, you go to school, to train your body, you go to a gym. Where do you go to train your emotions? And the reality is we train them on each other. <laughs> but as one of the teachers shared, it was like, well, we, that hasn't always been the case. We've, there are these sort of ancestral practices that we have lost sort of along the way. And so that got me thinking a little bit more. And, and in some ways, I feel like maybe churches, synagogues, mosques, you know, some of these religious institutions once actually were where people talked about things of the heart. And, you know, there's been, um, you know, a global uh, decline, but particularly here in the United States, of people going to churches or synagogues or mosques, um, places of worship. And so we've lost that social setting to actually talk about matters of the heart. So we still have the schools, we still have gyms and playgrounds. And in many ways, I feel like the conversations that we're being able to host, the teachers that we had last week, they're now trying to sort of like refill in those holes, those that vacuum that has been created um, with the secularization of our society. And so, you know, then it's really, it's be, it's just like an interesting thing to sort of frame it at that sort of level and context, which is like, okay, we know that we have to do a better job around social emotional learning. Um, it's essential. Um, but now how do we actually do it in a way that is going to stick, right? Like we can't just sort of treat emotions like the old banking model of education where we're like, Hey, we're going to tell you, this is joy. This is sadness. This is no, like people actually have to sort of figure out what those feelings are for themselves. And then what is the healthy way to explore it? That's been the fascinating thing, I think, about the past two years. I think people have really prioritized, you know, how do we stay connected? You know, and even before COVID, the loneliness rates all over the world in, in modern societies have been increasing over time. And, and you know, it's I've been seeing a lot of uh, space holding, you know, people calling that like spaces that we hold for different communities or or, you know, we use the word circle, you know, and in some ways that's inspired by the indigenous traditions all over the world where people would sit around a fire and 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 share. It feels like we're building this new paradigm for how do we hold space? How do we connect? How do we talk about what's really going on and 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 focus on healing? I was really struck by how all the teachers, you know, it was the end of their workday last week. And they were like, well, this has been so healing to be able to like pause and connect in this way. And, you know, if you strip down all the institutional aspects of, of, you know, places of worship or the ways that we organize in community, that's really the heart of it, isn't it? And I, and I love the transition from education as memorization to education as embodiment, right? So even having a math teacher 
communicate how to sort of be present. And then all of a sudden numbers, sometimes, you know, folks have anxiety around numbers. And so it's hard to then absorb the knowledge if you're all you're feeling is the anxiousness of not knowing it and the insecurity. And so helping people sort of settle their bodies. So then all of a sudden numbers are just like letters. They're just different shapes and you use them in different ways. They don't have to be scary. There's a, there's a language and a vocabulary to them. And, you know, and I think thinking about those ancestral practices, like going back to like the aboriginals in Australia who use story um, to impart knowledge around a fireplace. um, Probably, I don't know. And they can actually trace their stories going back, I think like almost 10,000 years. And the stories are so accurate because they're really literally trying to help people navigate, like how to go from point A to point B. And the stories are so detailed about land formations and waterways and what season, you know, water may be there or not there that geologists can actually show on maps how geographies have changed over a 10,000 year period because of the level of detail these stories had. And so it wasn't just, you think about knowledge, like a, a kid, like writing down the notes, okay, there's a bush here. And then, you know, in 500 feet, there's this other, you know, Creek and like, no, they were going to then have to do that journey. And so it was an embodied experience. It wasn't just sort of this, like, Oh, I just need to memorize this map just because I need to know where all the states, uh, the capitals are in the United States, right? Like it's like a random fact that we need to memorize every capital. And it's like, no, I, I actually need to go from here to there for my survival, right? Like as the birds, like, hey, no matter what happens with the weather, I still got to fly, I still got to eat, I still have to do these things. And so how do I navigate knowing that I'm going to have to do this myself? It's almost like you have to deeply feel it and almost to the level where you're almost experiencing it without the actual experience. I, I I love this idea of experiential learning and, you know, a lot of um, like the Waldorf nature-based models, you know, are, are really focused on that. And, and it feels like in this time, even as we're navigating, you know, what is season two going to be? We have some clues and some ideas. It's almost like in every single conversation, we're then feeling into, okay, well, where, where, where is the wind blowing us or, or where, where do we want to go? Where, where are we navigating to? Um, and I think one of the themes that I feel like is, has come up really strongly for us in our work in this period has been around resonance and like just even literally song, you know, back to those old ways, you know, song was one of the ways that people gathered. I feel like that was our form of murmuration, you know, in, in churches, temples, mm-hmm. there was chanting, there was song. I remember us talking to Linda, you know, sound healing for, you know, as a hospice nurse. And she was saying like the Tibetan tradition is really old and it, it doesn't even require the fancy, you know, bowls. It's just the the humming and the chanting that brings people together in this like coherence. And it's physical, right? Like you can actually, when you hum, you can actually feel the physical vibration moving through your body. I was uh, 
doing a float yesterday, which is like one of these small, I don't know, uh, tub containers. Um, and it's filled with water that's like highly, um, uh, saline. So you, you've, you're highly buoyant and you're floating. And the guy who I went with, um, he took me the first time probably over a year ago. And and this was our second time, and th- but we went for three hours. So this was like a long, just it's sensory deprivation because it's all dark. You can't see anything. And I did pretty good. I could sort of, you know, try to meditate some, probably fall asleep a little, and you know, you don't know what time it is. And that in and of itself is just sort of a strange experience. But I was it's like pitch black also, right? <laughs> it's pitch black. Yeah. It, there's no, you can't see anything. But I was sort of had a feeling. I was like, okay, I think an hour has passed. And then I was like, okay, I think now two hours have passed. And then my body started kind of getting a little agitated, like after two hours of just laying there you know in pitch black like i'm like okay i can no longer meditate i can't over i'm not i can't fall asleep um and it's now the body is like feeling anxious and you can feel that anxious energy and it's like the energy you have when you're like i want to just pick up my phone while i'm standing in line right we're like i don't know and so it was great because i was like okay this is the important part. This is my body telling me like, I'm anxious. I want to move. And so how do I give myself permission to just a accept that anxiety? Right. And just sort of process it in a way. And so I actually started humming in there and, you know, and I could, and you're really feeling the vibration because you're in that water. And so it's like, and your ears are sort of slightly below water. And so you really hear and feel the vibration in a different way. And then all of a sudden I was able to relax for like the last half hour. So then I was really able to kind of come out of that experience feeling refreshed. Whereas if I had stopped at hour two, I would have had that like anxiety feeling. Um, And so what are these places and practices that we can have with the cards like seeing that help us uh, really connect and not just think about vibration and sound is like, Oh, you know, that's a nice to have, but a need to have. I love how we're helping to remember that this is always available. And, you know, we've been exploring with different ways to even uh, embody the foxglove flower and this feeling of sing. And you just depicted it so beautifully, just like imagining you in the salt water and the pitch black and floating and then, and then just, you know, humming and having that resonance for it with throughout your whole body. Um, and I'm curious, Omar, how has it felt for you to see the evolution of Arlene's original illustration of the foxglove and this word sing and this theme and, and, you know, as, as you are kind of leading us through this exploration into the digital art of web three of NFTs. How was it, how was that experience as we were like basically journeying and, and being in this emergent place of, you know, how are we going to digitize this art that was originally hand drawn and, 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 you know, yeah. What is, what does this theme, you know, really mean to you now after we've experienced this evolution of the art in digital form. Well, I really appreciated is Arlene's commitment to the themes in the card deck. 
Because I know, and I think she even shared um, in a recent podcast that it was really uncomfortable, right? To go from hand-drawn art to uh, digital art and then layers. And in some ways, it's a little bit more technical uh, in its orientation. But she said to help her through that discomfort, she saw it as an opportunity to practice curiosity. And so I think, you know, each of these cards and what I love, you know, in the physical cards or even the digital cards is that they are very tangible ways for us to remember. Right. And, and I love that you brought that word back into the conversation because it's like to be a member again, to be a part of something again, which is then an embodied experience. Um, like, we are members of a community, members of something larger than ourselves. And, you know, and, and then tapping into, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be curious, I have to look this up, if the word member relates at all to memory. And what does that mean to really understand that we belong, even when we feel uncomfortable? And what are then the practices that we have to help us move through that? Um, because things change. The tides change. Um, and so sometimes, you know, you're trying to catch a wave, but like, I think with some of these practices, we're almost being given a chance to create the waves. Um, we can create the practices and the ways that we want to be in the world. Um, and so it's not always about hustling and trying to catch the next wave. And how curiosity can be this way of navigating that change. You know, when I think about, you know, trying to learn to surf, like if I am scared or focus too much on the technicality of it. Like I, I just lose it. You know, I'm not in my body. I'm just in my mind. But if I'm like, I'm curious how that would feel, <laughs> you know, or what would the artwork look like when we add more color or shapes to it? You know, I, and I, that was what was most striking to me was Arlene was almost like that bird in the system, you know, of our team saying, okay, how, okay. Omar's wants to move this way. Okay. So how do I flow over there with with this, you know, and then, okay, what, but then how does this feel most embodied for me with the, with the colors and the shapes and, and it was beautiful to see what's possible with the art in digital form. Like we, there were thousands of versions of the card with different backgrounds and even the introduction of the hummingbird. It just brought different levels of resonance and feeling to, to the original form. Well, I think also, you know, what you're also sort of touching on a little bit is how we each bring different skills um, and knowledge to the conversation, right? So Arlene is bringing her, you know, her heart through the art. You know, for me, I have this sort of deep curiosity around Web3 and crypto. For you, it's about the deep connection to the land and the physical sort of experience of being and living and choosing to, you know, move four or five hours away from a major city to be more connected to nature. And so what does that mean to then bring this conversation all together? And, you know, this is not even including our awesome uh, producer, Brian Vasquez, who really brings a feeling of sound to the table. Um, and what is that sort of experience of just listening and being present to sound? 
Um, and so I think that's, this is the emergence that we're playing with and finding then different ways to share these stories. And hopefully, you know, and I still continue to firmly believe this, that the change that we want to see in the world only proceeds at the pace of our own inner transformation. And so if we want to see change faster in the world, then we actually have to figure out how we can adapt faster. Um, but even in that adaption, uh, being sensitive to, well, what do we want to lose? Because sometimes to change things means to let things go. Um, and so really, you know, going back to that Paulo Freire quote, are we on the path of humanization or on the path of dehumanization? And really then being like, is this something that makes me feel more connected to my own humanity and the humanity of others? Or is this something that actually is more othering um, mm. and disconnecting uh, and minimizing and losing of empathy? Um, and really then having that litmus test uh, to sort of say like, no, this is essential. And so how do I help bring this forward? And maybe this isn't serving me. And so how do I let it go? I'm looking back to remembering the the circle with the embodied educators because in many ways it was this um, first time we had a you know a group in a live setting and you know you asked this beautiful question at the very end like well what is a practice that is embodied that you do together as a community as a flock of birds and um, what that inspired was one of the embodied educators sharing their music, their song, um, which then led to a beautiful like embodied reflection. And so um, I'm really excited to share that clip with our listeners to really actually feel the resonance of that. Not just, you know, we're talking about these things conceptually, but like we're going to be able to share a snippet of that conversation because it was so so powerful. I mean, it really, I felt it in my body. Like my heart opened when I heard that song. This is a song from my heart, uh, especially when there are moments. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll hear in the song. My heart, I am here with you now, though you feel so, so small. May my arms hold you warm, hold you strong. And my voice, though it trembles in love, do I share. And my tears give you water to bloom. Heart, I feel you open and healing. Oh, 
might you be feeling in the body locating that and then bringing voice to it so at one point i felt my jaw like shift over and it was like it didn't it didn't like pop but it, it almost just felt like it was like a release and it was just this like whoa it, like it like washed over my face from like the right side of my face all the way over to the left it was just like whew. I was like, whoa, I guess I was holding some tension there that just was released. Wow. What would you make that mean? So I have, um, at the beginning of, of, of COVID, I had a very stressful beginning and, um, got tinnitus. So the ringing in my ear. And, um, so yeah, so I, one just clear sort of connection between stress and your body's reaction. Right. And, and so I still have a, a faint bit of it on my right side of my face and, um, in my right ear. And so, yeah, so feeling that my jaw release, um, was sort of feeling like a little bit of that kind of tension that is clearly there. Um, you know, and it's been humbling, you know, because I'm used to being able to accomplish things and, you know, whether that's academically, business, physically, you know, sports. And I, I, there's, I, it's almost, there's nothing I've been able to find that actually can fix the tinnitus. Like I've gone to acupuncture and, and I think part of it is like my body's like, yo, I'm still stressed out. <laughs> and so like, until you figure out how to totally de-stress, I'm not going away. And so I've actually come to appreciate the tinnitus a little bit because it's now like, 
my not so silent alarm. That's like, okay, it's here. Pause, pay attention. How was that, Omar, for you to remember that time <laughs> not so long ago where you're reflecting on your body's wisdom and signals around your stress? I always appreciate these conversations because I don't remember anything. And so even though that wasn't that long ago, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that my jaw loosened up uh, in that experience. And, I, you know, I think what I really was struck by listening to his song the second time now was the tenderness of his voice at the beginning, right? Like you could the vulnerability was palpable. And, you know, and I think that it's just sometimes we forget how beautiful just the human voice can be. And that's, you know, in many ways, that is what's so strange is that from the mouth can emerge beauty and out of the mouth can emerge anger. And so we just have so much choice as to what just comes out of our mouth and we and it and it doesn't even the words may not even matter it's the energy is it is it said in haste or is it said with gentleness you know and kindness um and when are we giving ourselves permission to really stretch our voices in different ways um, so that we can actually give voice to the feelings that are really within us and for me, it just brought a really tangible sense of like, what is the heart, his heart? What does his heart feel like? What does their heart feel like? And what does my heart feel like? Because I even hearing it again, I feel this kind of tingling sensation kind of in my head. And it's a different one than like the active mind, you know, working to solve a problem. It actually felt like a deactivation where it's just like, okay, just listen and feel that song. <laughs> like don't analyze the words. <laughs> um, yeah. It's such a gift to like receive something from someone's heart. Like you really can tell when someone's giving you something like heartfelt versus like, Oh, I'm just giving you this thing, you know, <laughs> dialing it in. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is then the feelings that we convey and song just sort of amplifies what's already there. And so just sort of then a reminder to be like, wow, let me choose my words carefully. You know, and, it, and maybe it's even more than the words. It's like, let me choose my tone carefully. Yeah. It's like an energy that you're transmitting. And I almost now going back to your murmuration, visualization, Omar, it's like, maybe that's the way that we as humans like murmuring is like, you know, even that's a sound, you know, maybe that's the way we could get closest to that idea of birds in flight. Hmm. I love that. So do you have a practice for us uh, as we close this week? Yeah, it's uh, inspired by Bong and their song. I invite you to Think of a song that really speaks to your heart. And it can be a song that like your mom sang to you as a child, as a lullaby that was really soothing for you, or a song that you that just feels good, um, that you really like to play when you want to feel good. And just listen to it 
and notice how your heart or your body feels while you're listening. And even hum to the sound of that song. Just practice listening with your heart. I love practicing humming with your heart. What a beautiful practice for this week. We appreciate you who are listening as we allow these emergent themes to come up. We totally want to be in dialogue with you. Uh, And so continue to send us notes. Continue to please like, subscribe, comment. We're in this together. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.